when you've got somebody with crippling multiple sclerosis who says, I'm going to totally change my diet and I'm going to eat 12 to 15 cups of vegetables and fruits a day and go very paleo keto. And within a month, she's out of her wheelchair seeing patients. Within three months, she's riding her bike around the block. Within a year, she's on a horseback riding trip with her family. You know, so this is the power of the right diet and the right person at the right moment. And we see it over and over and over and over in our practices. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Girlfriend Doctor podcast. Today, we're going to really hit on digestive wellness. Digestion is a huge factor in whether we can heal our gut, our microbiome. Let me tell you, it is, it is our neighbor that can either be that great neighbor or an unwelcome, you know, unwelcome acquaintance. So we really want to heal the gut and heal our digestion. And so with us today, I'm sharing one of my girlfriends, Liz Lipsky. She is amazing. She really is a pioneer in this area of health, you know, being in health and wellness, functional medicine for decades. She is a professor and the director of the academic development for the graduate programs in clinical nutrition at Maryland University of Integrative Health, the owner of Innovative Healing Academy, and the author of Digestive Wellness, now in its fifth edition. Dr. Lipsky holds a PhD in clinical nutrition. She is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition and holds two board certifications in clinical nutrition and one in functional medicine. She is on faculty at the Institute of Functional Medicine and the Metabolic Medicine Institute Fellowship Program. She's also on the board of the American Nutrition Association and advisory boards for the Certified International Health Coaches and the Autism Hope Alliance. Dr. Lipsky has been a co-author in peer-reviewed papers and is the author of several books, Digestive Wellness, Digestive Wellness for Children, and Leaky Gut Syndrome, and a video course, The Art of Digestive Wellness. After 30 years of clinical practice, she devotes her time to teaching, writing, and building the field of personalized nutrition. She really is, is a huge influencer in our space, and I have admired her, listened to her lecture, read her books, and and just known her on a personal level. She's a good, good, good person as that will radiate through our podcast. We hit on some really beautiful points during this podcast because, you know, one thing is that our, uh, it's so important to bring on an expert for you in digestive health because healthy digestion for a glowing complexion, right? Healthy on the inside is healthy on the outside. And it's also about how we think. And it's not just about what we eat. Our lifestyle empowers our choices about what we eat. That's really key because you would say, I just need to choose the right food or buy the organic foods or whatever it may be. But it's really more than this. It's also lifestyle and understanding what's happening within us. And in this episode, I think it's it's really interesting, this gut, our gut, our microbiome. Our microbiome is, like I said, that neighbor that we really need to be on good terms with because it has ears and is listening to our thoughts, watching our actions, and is really just part of what we need to have the healthiest physiology that we can and healthiest mindset and with that healthy relationships, right? That's important. I know that you'll enjoy this episode with Dr. Liz Lipsky and myself. So here we go. Let me introduce you. 
Welcome, Liz. I'm so thrilled to have you here on the Girlfriend Doctor podcast. I'm thrilled to be here, Anna. We've been trying to work on this for a while, so it's good to see your face and hear your voice. I know. It is so good to see you. I mean, gosh, we were pre-COVID in Oregon, Portland, at a conference, and I got to hang out with you, and you got to meet two of my, my two oldest daughters, and reconnect and learn about what you've been up to in the world. I'm like, oh my gosh, come on my podcast. I got to share you with my, my list. It's like been well overdue. We've known each other probably years, if not a decade, at least a decade. At least. And you were just getting ready to launch Keto Green too. Yes. Oh, that's right. That was before my book launch. Yeah. So in, in the meantime, <laughs> we've had a, there's been a lot going on in the world between quarantine, pandemic, and just the awareness of how important our health is. And it, it goes beyond what we eat, right? The lifestyle that we keep, the thoughts we keep affect us and affect this world within us. Like I think, I think seriously, gut bacteria have ears. I don't know. They know what we're saying. So, so there's, there's a lot to this. I'm really thrilled to bring you on. I really want you to share like, why this, why digestive? Well, you are so passionate about this, that you are the leader in the field on this topic. And how did you end up here? Interesting. So I, I first wrote the first edition of digestive wellness in the mid 1990s. And what got me interested was I was going to conferences and Dr. Leo Galland and Dr. Sid Baker were just starting to talk about, and Dr. Stephen Berry, they were just starting to talk about this idea of what is leaky gut. And we didn't even really have the word for microbiome yet, but we were starting to think about dysbiosis, which is an imbalance of the microbes in the gut. And I was sitting with a doctor and he showed me, we were working on a patient together and he showed me the first stool test I'd ever seen. And he said to me, these tests are going to change all of internal medicine. And it was just that moment that made me so curious. And I just wanted to know more. And there really wasn't anything except to go into the literature and to listen to lectures of people who were starting to explore the field. And I just decided I was just going to dive in and do that and learn because I was curious. And the result was a book. And I really didn't know a ton at that point. But over time, I started attracting more and more and more people who came to work with me who had GI issues, autoimmune issues, complex health issues that they hadn't been able to solve otherwise. And over decades, I became an expert. So it's um, been really exciting. And to me, one of the things you said is so important is like our lifestyle and like that the gut, you think that they have ears. Well, they do in a way. These microbes really react to stress. And they react to meditation and yoga and they react to to when we go out for a walk or when we work in our garden or when we have friends over and we're laughing. And they also, the biggest way to change them is with what we eat. We can change our gut microbiome in 24 hours. So for me, this is kind of a nerdy thing that I just love to study and love to teach about. 
And, you know, for me also, the word diet comes from the Greek, dieta. And it means a way of life or a way of living. And for me, so this conversation is part of our diet today. And the way our thoughts and our beliefs and our families, they're all part of our diet, you know? And so it's important to kind of think about like what is part of our larger diet, what we take in, what is our way of life and where is it wobbling and where can we maybe figure out ways to support that? I love this. I really do. The way of life, you know, that dieta is way of life because I always say the word diet. I mean, seriously, who wants to go on a diet? Four letter word with the word die in it. Like how can that ever be good? All right. So you've changed my opinion about the word Diet, dieta sounds much better. Dieta, I like that. Um, vida is the Latin for life. And that's been in my, my brand, Vida Pura, live a pure life. Like, because it's just, it's, it's about living life. And, and this is so true, Liz, with the microbiome, with our gut, right? Let's talk about this because you're in the 90s looking at digestion and, and we our knowledge of the microbiome was in its infancy. And it's still literally in its infancy. We're learning so much. But we were on the search in science for breaking that genetic code, right? We yeah. were all about the genes. It's all about our genes. And, and it's not, right? It's really about, I mean, there, of course, we've got genes involvement, but guess what? 25% genetic, 75% environment. And, and that whole environment, and I love what you said. I wrote it down. And it, you said, you know, we said the, these microbes have ears, but these microbes react to stress and meditation and laughing, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, for me, digestion, it's a river of life. You know, the reason we eat food is not just for energy, but it's to nourish every single cell in your, in your body. And so for a lot of us, for most people, we're eating the wrong foods. So we could talk about that. But even if we're eating all the right foods, I wor- I've worked with so many people, their lifestyle is purer, cleaner, healthier, more balanced than mine but they still feel terrible. And so, you know, we have to start looking and say, well, can they actually digest the food that they eat? Do they need digestive enzymes or bitters or something to support digestion? Are they actually able to move that through their digestive system, right? Can they get that nourishment to every cell in the body? Do they have leaky gut or inflammation or do they have kind of low-grade imbalances in their gut microbiome? How many of us are constipated or, as we talked about earlier before we started recording, bloated? So for me, digestion is really kind of this river of life. And just like any river, it can get slowed down and sluggish and not work very well and kind of dry up. Or it can flood. You know, we don't want either of those things to happen. So we just want this to be working really well. And it's fascinating because we don't really think about digestion as being a key to systemic health. But for example, we know that, that skin conditions like eczema and psoriasis or things like migraines, acne, autoimmune conditions. Rosacea. I need to talk to you about this. Even type 2 diabetes, even to some extent type 1 diabetes, they all have this 
GI connection, even kidney disease, chronic kidney disease, and so you glaucoma. So you start looking at this and you go, whoa. And so that's why it fascinates me so much. I, I love this conversation already so much. And, you know, digestion is the river of life. I think that's just a beautiful sentiment because it's, you know, also evolving, flowing, and there's an energy to it. But I want to tell you that, you know, when I think about, I was always thinking, if I can get to the underlying root cause, then I can really address that. I always say, I want to make the smallest changes that are going to give me the biggest results. <laughs> it's just my, my nature. So let's make it as easy, as simple, as you know, smallest steps to make the biggest results, right? They still take effort, but however, let's, let's target this effort. But when it comes down to it, it comes to leaky membrane, right? We talk about, you know, the inflammation, rheumatoid arthritis, acne, skin disease as a function of leaky gut, right? Leaky mucosa, gut mucosa, autoimmune disease. We'll add that in there. Leaky gut, cardiovascular disease, leaky blood vessels, Alzheimer's, leaky, you know, membranes in the brain creating scar tissue, scabs, so to speak, to heal that inflammation, right? So we have these leaky membranes as a result of impaired cell-to-cell function, the cell-to-cell communication. Just like, like take the smallest things that happen in us and expand it to what's happening in the world. You know, country to country communication, neighbor to neighbor communication. If there are walls up and you're not communicating, there's animosity, the same is happening at the cellular level of our, of our digestive tract, and we want to heal it. Liz, you said something really powerful to the, just the concept of when we are wanting to heal, to, you know, to heal our gut, what we're seeing is that all of a sudden, like what we've been doing stops working. And like that example you gave of the, the healthy individual and the healthy lifestyle with a healthy diet, but still is feeling sick, or we were doing these aspects and all of a sudden what we did stopped working and we now need to restrict, restrict, restrict. And we're seeing that more. I'm definitely seeing it more in my own life with my own struggles, as well as clients like, okay, well, what is happening here? And then let's, we're going to come to the menopausal belly bloat. We'll, we'll circle back to, to healing that as well. But just the sense of why do you feel like with this, we're seeing this need for more restrictive ways. And and you and I were talking before, like, oh my gosh, like wine does not love me anymore. I used to love wine. Wine loved me. We had a love-love relationship. It's not a love-love relationship anymore. Yeah. So this is something that that troubles me. I remember when I was sitting with a client a long time ago, and he said, I'm gluten intolerant. I can't eat wheat. And I was like, really? That's fascinating. And that was the beginning. I knew about you know other kinds of food sensitivities and other things, but this is probably 40 years ago. We didn't really talk about celiac disease. We didn't really have a term of non-gluten, a non-celiac gluten sensitivity. But what we're starting to see now is that more and more people are turning to more restrictive diets. They're on low FODMAP diet, or they're on a vegan paleo diet, or they're on a paleoimmune diet, or ketogenic diet, or now the new rage is the carnivore diet. And when I look at that, it's like, why? You know, we are omnivores, right? 
Absolutely. And as omnivores, we should be able to eat just about anything. And we don't have a lot of research on any of this, but I look at it and what I know is that if somebody goes on a ketogenic diet or a low FODMAP diet or an omnivore diet, that within 24 hours, they start changing their microbiome. And a lot of, to get to that, a little bit of that menopausal belly bloat, one of the things that happens is that when we eat carbohydrates and when we eat fermented foods like wine, that they start feeding microbes in the gut. And when we have bloating and gas and discomfort in our belly, it's not our cells doing that. It's the microbes doing that. They're actually fermenting things and they're producing gas. I don't know if you've ever made wine or you've ever seen pictures of people making wine, but there's a part in it where you put a balloon on it or you have an aerator so that the gases can be released because the microbes in there are producing gas. And that's what's happening. And so when we go on these really restrictive diets, we are starving off the microbiome. And we see, for example, in a low FODMAP diet, that your metabolome, which is how your metabolism works, there's a significant break in just a couple weeks because you start changing the way your metabolism runs. It starts running better. And what we also start seeing is that a lot of the beneficial microbes like bifidobacteria in the gut, they just start plummeting. They just start going way down really fast. And so these diets, I think, can be really useful therapeutically for four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, even up to 12 weeks. And then we really need to figure out as you said, what are the root issues? What's really going on here? Is there an infection? Is there a food allergy? Is there undiagnosed celiac disease? Is somebody so stressed out that their motility is not working right? Do they have mold toxicity? Do they have fungal overgrowth? It's like you have to start really digging deeper because we even know all of this affects, there's a whole thing called the we have now all kinds of different biomes, and one of them is the estrabolome, which is about your estrogen. Yes. Let's talk about that a little bit because that is that is good stuff. Because we know, you know, we've got our our gut is making serotonin, our neurotransmitters, you know, and, and, and involved with so much of that, it's part of detoxification and it's part of healthy estrogen metabolism. And so to know that we've got the metabolome, right? We have the responsible bacteria responsible for healthy metabolism. And then we have our you know, healthy estrogen metabolism and all of these things. It's, it's super exciting. And this discovery, I mean, this is just recent discovery looking at this. So I would just love you to go into this because for breast health and immune health and brain health, all of that is critical to the estrobolome. It is. And you know, what's so interesting you mentioned before about genetics and, you know, I've done dozens of genomic tests on myself and I think it's fascinating, but nobody has started looking between the interaction of the microbiome and our genomics, but the intersection of all of that is our lifestyle. And so, for example, when we look at the estrabolome and we start estrobiome and we start looking at that, then we start thinking about 
For example, if I have too much sugar, that night I have hot flashes. If I have alcohol, I'll have a hot flash. So for me, I put that together and I go, oh, well, I'm just not going to do that because I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night with a hot flash and all sweaty. And so we start looking at the way that we eat. We know that the, one of the main food groups that is so helpful for estrogen balance, and I'm sure you've talked about this dozens of times, is all the cabbage family foods. So eating broccoli and cabbage and Brussels sprouts and kale and kohlrabi and mustard greens, all of these, all of these foods that are in the cabbage family food, they actually help us break down estrogens that we no longer need. And how do they do that? They talk to our genes and they talk to our microbes and they get broken down. So there are compounds in cabbage, for example, that are called sulforaphanes. And there's another one called DIM and they're, they're definite compounds. But what happens is that when we eat cabbage, that those compounds start getting eaten, the polyphenols in the food, the colors in the food, and the compounds in the food start getting eaten by the microbes in our gut. And then those produce chemicals that are healthy for us. And it activates those plant nutrients to help us break down estrogen and to help detoxify and support the liver and the bile into doing that. And so it's really a fascinating way that food interacts. And, you know, like if you eat blueberries, for example, we know that blueberries are really great for blood sugar regulation and for vision, for the retina, and they're really important. But 95% what's in a blueberry can't be activated without being gobbled up by the microbes. Mm-hmm. So the microbes get fed and they're healthy because this is their preferred food. And we get the benefit of all this anti-inflammatory colors that are in the food. And especially for women, cabbage family foods are so protective for breast cancer and other hormone dependent cancers. Yeah, you know, and that's why it's included as part of the Keto Green 16. I know it's included in your amazing book, Digestive Wellness. Fifth edition, Digestive Wellness, always, always continuing to add science and research to that. Liz, thank you for your work. But, you know, that's why it's, it's part of a healthy hormonal, hormonally balancing diet and healing. But now it's not enough, right? Because it's the when, the intermittent fasting, the no more snacking, the, the lifestyle, the meditation, the getting out in nature that takes a, a, big, a big part of this to really to heal. And you said our microbes are, are listening to our, our stress and how during this stressful, uncertain time period, we're seeing a lot more, you know, weight gain, digestive problems, autoimmune flares, you know, skin conditions that are coming up and not to mention addictive behaviors. So hence, I've had to give up my wine, Liz. I've had to, as much as I've researched, studied, made wine. This is what I was going to talk about. Do I know how to, seventh grade science fair project. I made wine. I brought it to school and then I was nearly kicked out of school because I brought alcohol to school. I had had no idea. I had no idea like that was a thing. So I had made wine for my seventh grade science fair project. But anyway, so... (laughs) 
all of a sudden these foods, you know, even in our, in our lifestyle and our healthy lifestyle and our, our keto green way and our, you know, looking at these balancing superfoods that it can, like the enemy can still find a way in. So help us walk through discovering if we have a problem and you've got a great quiz for this. You've got a great quiz, the digestive health appraisal questionnaire, digestive health appraisal questionnaire. And so that's, that's one where we can look into it. Walk us through this journey working with you. Like when we're, where we're dealing with this situation where, you know, we, we are, we are doing, we've gotten rid of gluten. We've gotten rid of sugar. We're eating keto green 16, right? We're intermittent fasting and eating well, but yet we've got this, this bloating, this shift in our bodies. So even what we're doing either stops working or we have a setback digestively. Yeah. It's, I think that living in our bodies is a, humbling experience. It's a spiritual experience because there's a lot of surrender and letting go because they do really funky things. But I also think that it's part of our own self-exploration. And I've worked with people who live so much in their heads that they never even really thought much about their bodies till their bodies started yelling at them. Or their feelings. That's a big one. Like, how do you feel? Feel? What do you mean? I'm good. Oh, yeah. How How do you relax? relax. I don't relax. I work. I love my work. (laughs) I love my work too. And it's really important to have that balance. So, so, you know, the digestive health appraisal takes 15 different areas and it looks like, oh, could this be gluten intolerance or an undiagnosed celiac disease? Could this be enzyme insufficiencies? Could this be that I don't have enough digestive fire, that I don't have enough acid in my stomach? Or could it be liver gallbladder? Or, you know, what else might be going on? And so I've used this questionnaire and I keep refining it. That's not a surprise. Perfectionist. All right, go ahead. I'm not. I'm kind of a good enough, but I I just love to kind of keep going back to certain things. And I hear you. based on the research and just to kind of look at what the research is. And, and so people have found three main things from filling out this questionnaire. One is they've actually gotten keys as to what's going on, which is fantastic. The other thing that people have found is, wow, if I had filled this out two or three years ago or five years ago, I would have been a mess, but look how much better I am because I only have maybe one area that's still left. And then the third thing that I discover, and my sister just filled it out and she goes, I don't have digestive problems, you know, and that's also really useful to kind of go, well, this isn't probably start in the gut. So maybe it's hormonal, or maybe it's stress, or maybe it's heavy metals, or maybe it's something else. And so it's really useful. And I don't know about you, but like when I was younger and I would read women's magazines, I loved the quizzes. Oh yeah, I love quizzes. I'm a big fan. I've made a few quizzes myself. I just I think they're they're so helpful, and it just gives you that assessment to see where you're at now. Because this is something that I've experienced in working with patients. Is once you put them on a program, as you're addressing this, like trust me, do this. They come back and say, I didn't realize how bad I was feeling till I started feeling good again. And I, I, that's so powerful. I didn't realize how bad I was feeling until I started feeling good again. Like the light, you know, the world is lit up, the colors. I'm in 3D existence yet again, right? Versus flat. 
So, so let's talk about healing our digestion and healing our, this bloated belly phenomenon, mid belly bloat, mid belly bloat. So as I said, our cells don't do it. It means that you have a a dysbiosis. And I can remember when I was a lot younger, every time I would have a glass of wine, I would start having vaginal itching. For me, it wasn't belly bloat. For me, it, it ended up as a vaginal infection or a beer. Or I got so sensitive that even if my husband had a couple of beers and then we made love, that I would get a vaginal infection. And so it's like, what is it with this for wine? You know, well, wine is fermented. And it's still in a state of fermentation. We know that if you just leave wine on the counter for months, it'll turn into vinegar. So it's not finished. And for a lot of us, it's the kind of histamines and the fermentation factor in the wines that promote yeast overgrowth, promote histamine production, which we normally think of as kind of allergy symptoms like itching and dry eyes and throat closing and hives and things like that. But a lot of people are experiencing that histamine reaction as gut reactions or pain reactions. And so if I'm working with somebody and they go, I'm really sensitive to wine or beer, I'm going to start thinking about, is this maybe a low histamine diet? Or does, based on all the other kind of symptoms, does somebody have fungal overgrowth? And that belly bloating, could that be small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Because we know that, for example, irritable bowel syndrome, which affects about 15 to 70, 17% of all women, more than half of that is due to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And it's not like a specific infection. It's just that the gut microbiome is predominated by microbes that love to produce gas and make us bloated and either be constipated or have um, diarrhea or constipation and diarrhea alternating. And so we never know what ends up really. And it's so disruptive of our lives and the quality of life. And so trying to figure out what is important. I'll tell you a story. An old friend of mine called and a few months ago, and right before COVID-19 hit, she and her husband had gone on a vacation with a couple friends, and they wined and dined all weekend. And by the time she left to get back on the plane, she was in the bathroom the entire time with the runs. And she told me that she's had irritable bowel syndrome for 15 years, but this was really horrible. So I'm like, this sounds like food poisoning. You know, when you get a violent explosion, gas, misery, sometimes even vomiting, that sounds like food poisoning. And about a quarter of people who have irritable bowel syndrome, that's how it starts. Anyway, so... She went to see her doctor and her doctor gave her some antibiotics and that weren't terribly specific for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. But he said, try these, let's see what happened. And we, I recommended that she try the low FODMAP diet. And there's a wonderful app from the University of Monash that just costs a few dollars. And it puts every single food as red, yellow, or green. So it makes it really easy to follow the diet. 
And she and her husband embarked on this diet. And in two weeks, the bloating was completely gone. She goes, I haven't felt like this in 15 years. So now we're like four or five months into this. And her husband got on the phone and he said, thank you for giving me my wife back. I love he that. said, now we can kind of go. We used to get up every morning really early and it would take a couple hours before we could go out for our morning walk. And now we get up, she eats and we just leave. I love it. Well, let's explain what FODMAP diet is. So explain the FODMAP diet, like maybe that new information for our listeners. Okay. So I think the low FODMAP diet, it's, it's a, a diet that was developed in Australia by two researchers, and they've done a lot of research on it. So it kind of has mushroomed on the scene, and it's widely used for irritable bowel syndrome. And that's the main diet we have research on first for irritable bowel syndrome. It works amazingly well for gas and bloating. And I would think, though, that your keto green diet would have a very similar effect. Because what we're trying to do is we're lowering the amounts of those digestible, fermentable carbohydrates, which are classified as prebiotics. So the low FODMAC diet, the first one is fructolosaccharide. It's a prebiotic. We see these in probiotic supplements. Oh, oligosaccharides. It's all the rest of them. And fructose. And these are sugars. And what happens is that the microbes love sugar. Mm-hmm. But we love sugar, right? We love sugar. And so when we eat carbohydrates that feed this dysbiosis, we end up with bloating and we don't feel well. And what's paradoxical about this is that these are the right food for the microbiome when you're healthy. And so when we take them out, we don't want to take them out forever because they're the thing that's really helping regulate. So what we want to do is starve the microbiome for a couple of months and then start peaking things back in and adding them back in slowly and see how we feel. And as you said, we're always looking for what are kind of the the least we have to do to help somebody feel better. You know, and I think so often people are standing upside down on their, they're standing on their heads, they're juggling, they're doing all these things to try to feel better. And sometimes the simplest thing is like, are you getting at least eight hours of sleep a night? Are you getting your 150 minutes of time exercising or being outdoors? How do you relax and how do you fill your bucket back up? Because an empty bucket of apples is just an empty bucket of apples, you know? So how do you kind of put more apples back in your bucket so that you can give them away again? And food, I hate to say it, but we have a recent study demonstrating that 70, almost 72% of what the average person eats is ultra-processed. Ultra-processed. 72%. Okay. So like frankenfoods. Frankenfoods, it's not just like this morning I had a rice cake, right? I eat weird foods for breakfast, but this morning, like most mornings, I had a rice cake. But rice cake is just rice that's been processed with a little salt, okay? So that's considered a level three processed foods, but most people are having level four processed foods. 
which are the ones that you know, you look at the list of ingredients and you go, I don't even know what a lot of these are and I would never use this if I was making this at home. And so if we're eating 70, almost 72% of our food as that because it's easy, convenient, quick, cheap, and tasty, if we're doing that, we are robbing ourselves of nutrients and robbing our microbiome. And the research also shows it's mostly in cardiovascular disease and cancer right now. But for every serving a day, more than two that you eat, there's another like 12 or 13% risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke from eating ultra-processed foods. And we know that these foods are inflammatory, and we know that inflammation underlines all, underlies all disease. So when we look at all of this, it's like, okay, well, first we got to really clean up our diet and look at it carefully and, and kind of figure out, like for somebody like you, Anna, you know, you kind of go, okay, like I'm going to write down everything I eat and drink and everything, every time I eat a meal that afterwards I feel pretty great and energetic and I don't nod out or have pain or fogginess or whatever, I'm going to put that at the top of the page. And every time I eat something that makes me feel not that great, I'm going to put it at the bottom of the page. And after a couple of weeks, I'm going to rip that in half. And I'm going to keep focusing on what makes me feel great and refine it, you know, and then that becomes the Anna diet instead of the low FODMAP diet, or I think keto green probably is your diet, though, that you figured out. Except during, you know, this high stress, I totally was drinking more wine and having more desserts, like typically don't eat more of the chocolate. And so I would say my, and this is something where it's really interesting. I, I want clients to listen to their inner voice, their, their natural intuition, because what's really important that I've, I've recognized over time is like when it came to realize that I had a dairy sensitivity, that once I believed that I had this dairy sensitivity, you know, that was like the food that I would not want anyone to take from me. And I always tell clients like, I'm going to remove, you know, these key inflammatory foods or, but is there a food that you're like, if you take this away from me, forget it, I'm going to hate you. Like I'm taking that away from you. Right. And I always joke, like all through the years, I was like, I find the research to support my vices, you know, coffee, wine, and dark chocolate, right? I will find the research to support my vices. I've even lived on a coffee plantation. I've been through vineyards. I made my own wine in seventh grade. And I love dark chocolate. It's a family thing. My brother was a, a well, well-known uh, chocolatier. So you know, these are, it's really a big deal, but seriously, these are foods that are inflammatory to me right now. And that, you know, in this time of, okay, well, even low, you know, keto wine or dry farm wines or whatever, low carb wines, you know, by the time you're halfway through a bottle, I mean, it's really not doing you any good. Right. So, and that's something to realize your first cup of coffee, your second or third, not, not doing you any good. And especially if you're in stress, right, we're going to drive up cortisol. And then it was my chocolate. I don't know. Chocolate just, I just figured, you know, get the three, I'll just keep chocolate for a while and maybe I'll give up the, you know, work on giving up the coffee and the, the wine for a time. And I think that's, that's really key because that whole cyclic, process our life. I mean, if you're giving it up now, doesn't mean you're going to have to give it up for the rest of your life. Well, well, anyway, let me go to the expert. Liz, reassure me. 
You know, some, so I, I have to tell you, I'm also dairy sensitive. I love dairy products, but I just don't, I eat them very rarely. And my husband and I keep a little jar of lactose enzymes on our kitchen table in case we like order out and we have like a Caesar salad with a little Parmesan cheese on it. So I'm pretty similar to you that way. Um, 70% of the world's population doesn't do that great with lactose with dairy products. And then I'm also super sensitive to chocolate. What I find is it gives me insomnia. So I, if I eat chocolate, I want to eat it early in the day. I think it's just interesting to know what those foods are for, for us and, and to just kind of be aware of it. And then you can make a choice. You can say, I can make a choice and say, well, it's my son's birthday and he wanted a chocolate cake. So I can either like have a piece of chocolate cake and not sleep as well, maybe, or I can decide I'm not going to have that piece of cake and I'm going to be able to sleep better, you know, and it's not a judgment. In fact, the other night he did have a birthday and I, he did want chocolate cake with chocolate frosting. And there was, you know, eight ounces of dark chocolate with no sugar in it, Baker's chocolate and countless cups of powdered sugar and sugar in this cake. And I just took like a little one milligram of melatonin before I went to sleep. And that seemed to help a lot. But you know, these are choices and we're human and we're not perfect. So it's not about being perfect. It's about honoring and respecting what our body's telling us. And the thing that I love about dietary change, whether somebody goes on the keto green or they go on a low FODMAP diet or a gluten and dairy and egg-free diet with no sugar and alcohol or ketogenic diet or whatever diet, but what you see so fast is that usually within two weeks, people are 50 to 60% better And then they're really motivated. And it is, you know, when we ask people, I know these are the foods you love the most, but these are the foods I want you to get rid of temporarily because we need to make sure that they're okay, you know? And it's amazing what how fast you can reduce inflammation in the body. I have said over and over, If we had a drug that worked as well as an elimination diet, it would be the number one selling drug for pain and inflammation in the world. And this is just food. This is the power of the food. When you look at somebody like Dr. Terry Walls, who is my superhero. She is a superhero. Mm -hmm. And I've told her that, you know, it's like when you've got somebody with crippling multiple sclerosis who says, I'm going to totally change my diet and I'm going to eat 12 to 15 cups of vegetables and fruits a day and go very paleo keto. And within a month, she's out of her wheelchair seeing patients. Within three months, she's riding her bike around the block. Within a year, she's on a horseback riding trip with her family. You know, so this is the power of the right diet and the right person at the right moment. And we see it over and over and over and over in our practices. That said, it's so hard to let go of food because food is love and food is nurture 
and we have all kinds of emotions wrapped up in what we eat and we have stories about it. You know, the story is, well, a glass of wine at the end of the day reminds me of my family and my grandmother and it makes me feel so relaxed. And, you know, I had to kind of let go of some of that stuff and go, yeah, and it gives me a vaginal infection. So it's out. And even when I fixed all of that, now if I have a glass of wine or I have alcohol a couple times a year, what I notice is that my body just feels dull from it. And I love that kind of a little bit high feeling, but I don't like the kind of heaviness in my body and also my tongue basically after a couple sips just kind of goes no this is poison you can't have this yeah your body will put up some defenses which is good after a while you really have to clean you have to get free from the the food in order for your body to heal and then alert you say okay no that's not good for you like i've worked with clients exactly the elimination diet better than any prescription medicine out there and and that's basically with keto green 16 that's a modified elimination diet there are different you know no white no wheat no sweet very little red meat no dairy i mean all these things that are part of our elimination diet and i always love to say that you know if you can pick it peel it fish it hunt it milk it grow it then for the most part you can eat it so you know whole foods right and so the elimination diet is, is so therapeutic. And I, I always would have patients come back in and say, Dr. Anna, my migraines went away. You know, my night sweats went away. And, but as soon as I, she goes, I remember one client, she'd been dealing with migraines and was on so many Maxalt and, you know, just name it. So many Imitrax, I mean, so many, and pain relievers, um, Tramadol, I mean, so, so many medications. And so in the elimination diet, in three weeks, her migraines were gone. And she she said then as she reintroduced gluten was one when she reintroduced some toast or, or crackers, I think it was, she just said, I just had a I had a migraine that night. I couldn't I couldn't function. And it was that quick. I was like, okay, well then you know that that is not good for you. Enzymes is a really big issue as we get older. And I'm kind of in the, you know, I'm kind of in the camp, like at a certain age, maybe it's my age right now, 54, I know that I take enzymes weekly, if not daily. Only I say weekly, if not daily, because I am terrible at taking the same thing every day, but I, I'm working on it. You know, I just filled up my box for the week. So I fill up a box for the week and every week it's a little bit different, but that way I don't have to think about it every day. But, you know, I picked up my fish oil today and I went, I'm not taking those. I put it right back. You know, sometimes there's just an intuition of like, I don't need this today. But enzymes, pancreatic exocrine insufficiency is a big deal. And there's two parts of it. One is that our enzymes are proteins, just like a lot of our hormones, like thyroid hormone is a protein mainly. And if we don't have enough protein in our diet, we're not going to be able to make it. And as we age, it's almost like there are so many fires going on in your body that making enzymes kind of goes down the list because you need to make them all the time. And so that's another reason why as we age, our ability to manufacture and produce enough enzymes can go down. But the third, and I think one of the most important reasons is that if you have any kind of inflammation in the small intestine, 
the lining of that is only one cell thick. Those cells are called enterocytes, which means, uh, you know, gut cell. And they're replacing themselves all the time. And they look like, to me, towels. They look like they have thousands of little tiny loops on them. And those little tiny loops have little tiny thread-like things. And those are called villi and microvilli. And if there's any damage to those, so eating a lot of gluten, being under a lot of stress, taking different kinds of drugs, drinking too much alcohol, if they're stressed to those and they get blunted or inflamed in any way, that's where we actually secrete a couple of important things. We secrete lactose there, lactase, I mean, which is the enzyme that breaks down lactose and dairy products. We also secrete a hormone called cholecystokinin that goes back to the pancreas and says, okay, secrete enzymes. And so if this gut barrier is inflamed at all, then we don't have the feedback mechanisms for our pancreas to know that it's supposed to dump enzymes when we eat. And I've used digestive enzymes with with clients and I've taken them personally and people find that their motility is better, that their energy is better, that they're less constipated, that they just feel so much better when they take them. Now, personally, when I take them, I notice nothing. So maybe I don't really need them, you know, but I love to experiment on myself to figure out what makes me feel better and what isn't that important. But that's, again, it's so important. And, you know, experimenting with enzymes, it's so easy to do. And I would just say, get a good quality enzyme product that has um, lipase, amylase, and protease to, to break down the fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. And there are lots of companies that make really good enzyme products. So, you know, just take one with every meal. And if you have a big snack, take one there and just see if it makes a difference in how you feel. Try it for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer in enzymes, especially in inflammatory, but people with inflammatory diseases, I feel like it's essential to get those micronutrients on board and it really helps us as we get older. I have the keto green enzymes, which are uh, zymozymes by Zymogen. And I have, I just interviewed Stephen Wright, I think episode 148 of the Girlfriend Doctor podcast on the enzymes, the importance, just a whole episode on, on the importance of enzymes and to really look at ways to test and, and different foods that are enzymatically activating and how important it is to have those in our diet. I've just been traveling so much. Like I, I carry that bottle of enzymes with me because I'm not getting, sometimes I'm not getting the best. I don't have access to the best quality food as much as I try and prep. And I'm still a single mom with kids and, and three horses and a horse trailer, as we mentioned, running around the, the Texas as a, as a uh, Georgia girl, but born in Pennsylvania. So we've got, you know, I'm, I'm you know, juggling, like you said, hand handstand juggling with hands and feet. So let's talk about a healing protocol, something that you think, okay, this is something that most of us really need to be doing, especially those of us over 50, despite having a great diet, you know, low FODMAP, keto green, intermittent fasting, we've got this down. What's another key thing that you think is, is critical? And then I want you to share with us a day, you know, just like 
how you start your day, like what, what something you do every day that has been really powerful to create such health and mental clarity and wisdom that you have. It's amazing. Thanks. I feel the same about you. So I think if you're already eating all the right things, then I, I want to start looking at the balance of what that looks like. And more vegetables is always good. And if you have problems digesting them, then cook them well, you know, or juice them. Although I did have one client who came to see me and he had so much gas and diarrhea and he was drinking a gallon of fresh vegetable juice a day. And I'm like, that's just too much juice. So, oh, yeah, that is just too much. You have gone overboard on that one. Uh, that was a very simple um, fix. <laughs> um, they're not always simple. The next thing is that, you know, so if you're already eating, you know, seven to 10 servings of vegetables and fruits a day, then start looking at other parts of your lifestyle, your sleep, your movement, your relationships. I've worked with people and I've said, you know, you're not going to get well while you're in this marriage or you're not going to get well while you are in this job because it's too stressful and the, the, it's abusive. Or you're not going to get well living in New York City because you're really chemically sensitive and there's too much going on there. You know, so looking at what's holding you back, this all takes a lot of introspection. And one of the things that I've found really useful is to actually meditate and ask my body what it needs. And I've done this with clients as well. I remember working with a client and she was having all kinds of uh, endometriosis issues. And we got into a really quiet place. You know, I just kind of, you know, let's just relax, close your eyes. She was lying down. It's like, relax your toes and relax your ankles. And, you know, we just kind of worked all the way up and then said, I'd like you to like imagine your your female organs, your uterus, and just kind of talk to it and see if it has a message or a sound or a shape or an animal or something, you know? And she came up with some kind of little animal. And then I said, well, talk to this little animal. I think it was a bunny. And I said, well, talk to it and see what it has to say. And what it said was that she had never really grieved the loss of her mom unresolved trauma to unresolved grief, unresolved emotions. And when she heard that, it's like, so then we could talk about, well, how can you give yourself space to make that happen? And it's amazing because our body is always trying to tell us. And if we slow down enough, it will give us wisdom. And you could do that with working with somebody. But I think a lot of us can just do that on our own. And as for kind of my day, here's how I start my day. My husband meditates two hours, an hour, twice a day. And he's been doing that since for over 45 years. That's not my thing necessarily. So I wake up in the morning and one of the first things that I do is I stretch. I do about 20 minutes of calisthenics and stretching. And for me, that's really important because I'm in my um, mid-60s. And I wake up and my lower back's a little stiff and my neck might be a little stiff because of the way that I slept. And so I start by doing um, some quiet exercises, some kind of yoga and calisthenics mixed. 
And I do that 15, 20 minutes. And then depending on what's going on, I might have breakfast right away or I might wait a couple more hours so that I get a bigger intermittent fasting um, space in my day. And my breakfasts are usually a smoothie where I use a rice-based protein powder because that works best for me. And then I add fresh ginger and fresh turmeric and it gets me outside almost all year because I go out and I grab some mint or some herbs from the garden and some kale. So it gets me outside in the morning, even just for a second. Sometimes I end up picking up, you know, starting to garden. And then I also add some cinnamon to that and some frozen berries and make a smoothie. And then I usually also have a rice cake with baba ganoush and homemade kimchi and right now because the tomatoes are so great some tomatoes with that and so that's kind of my breakfast you know and it could vary but that's kind of my five days a week breakfast that just kind of works for me and I find that I have abundant energy from it until about two o'clock in the afternoon so that's what works for me and then I might have a light meal of some sort usually leftovers or some hummus and vegetables or whatever. And then for dinner, you know, I just cook simple foods. I I just cook simple foods. There's some protein. There's usually um, something starchy and some kind of vegetable or some kind of uh, big salad with protein. Or My husband is definitely a carnivore, and so we don't eat red meat, but he needs chicken and turkey and fish and since we've been married a long time, I've eaten a lot more of that. I'm naturally kind of more vegetarian, but I think it's good for me to have more animal proteins. So, you know, and then the other things I love to garden, which actually means a lot of pruning and a lot of raking and a lot of weeding. Good physical activity, right? Bending, twisting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I usually do Zumba Gold three days a week, or I'll do an online Mia class or something like that. And my husband and I love to hike. So also I'm really protective of my sleep. If I know that I need to get up early, then I go to sleep earlier. And I put myself to sleep by reading. I read novels at night and it's how I make my eyes tired and how I've been doing it since I was a little girl. So whatever is your kind of nighttime ritual, that probably works for you. But I need a lot of sleep. I need nine or 10 hours of sleep a night to really feel my best. And so I'm very protective of it. And I know so many people who only get five or six hours of sleep a night. And you know, it's just not enough. The average adult needs seven to nine hours of sleep. So, so you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about my self-care. That's good. I think, and that, that's what Dr. Terry Walls also relayed to me. I mean, there's, she has a three-hour morning ritual. And so it, it is that, it's that important to stay, to stay healthy, to stay vital. And it's, it, it should be what sounds like your routine is. It ease, there's ease and flow and it works for you. You've 
you know, figured out what works for you. And I think that's really important. I was thinking, I was laughing to myself as you were talking about your morning stretching and everything else. I'm like, I need to go upstairs because I've lived in my own house for my entire life, right? So we have, ups- I have upstairs neighbors now in this little condo that I'm in. And at 6.30 every morning, I swear they're doing Zumba. They're doing like I across and back and across and back. And I'm like, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up, right? <laughs> like, huh, can I teach you some Qigong? How about some gentle stretching? Let's, um, you know, that's fun. But I'm up usually, I'm up at that time anyway. But still, I was like, oh man, but that gentle stretching, that's good. That's good stuff. And it's so important, especially as we're getting older, that flexibility, you know, creates balance and balance exercises are really important so we don't fall. It's also, you know, my life is so different now that my kids are grown and they're not in the house all the time. And so I do have more ability to kind of pace myself at a different pace. And I'm not waking up, grabbing them, getting them to school, homework, baths, you know, there's a pace to that. I loved every minute of it. And now it's like, okay, well, I can have a slightly different pace and make sure that I'm putting these things in. And I am just like you. I love my work. And there can be days where I just kind of walk into the office and I just start writing or creating or doing something. And then the next thing I know, it's like, I didn't exercise today. Mm -hmm. So with you on that, or my meditation, before I even open my eyes, I'm doing a meditative practice. Liz, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And your book, Digestive Health, Digestive Wellness, is a must-have for everyone. It's written for the practitioners, the lay people, and there's so much information in there. And I can't believe you're on your fifth edition. But okay, I want to let everyone know your quiz, Digestive Health Appraisal Questionnaire, DHAQ.com. That's great. DHAQ.info. DHAQ.info. And you have also a digestive wellness course. But tell people how they can get a hold of you, your main website and social. Sure. So my main website is innovativehealing.com and all my social media is pretty much Liz Lipsky, you know, Mm -hmm. like at Facebook, at Twitter, and I'm not totally active on it, but you can find me there. So Innovative Healing will take you to everything else. I also have a website for the book, Digestive Health Book, Digestive Wellness Book. Now you got me doing it. I know. Sorry about that. Digestivewellnessbook.com. And then um, for the course, it's called the art of digestive wellness.com. And so, you know, there are lots of ways to learn more. And I think one of the most gratifying things, Anna, and I'm sure you've had this too, is when somebody sends you an email or they walk up to you in the grocery store and they just say, your book changed my life. And that's why we write is we really want to, help people to help themselves. When I go see my doctor, I have to tell her what's going on because she doesn't live in my body, you know? And if I give her enough information, she goes, aha, I got it. But, you know, we're really the ones who have the body wisdom. And when we get stuck, then we go see health professionals who can help us solve the mystery. But the more information we have, the better they can do that for us. 
So true. So true. Well, thank you for your being on the Girlfriend Doctor podcast and everything you've done in your life and how generous you are with all the information that you give and, and share. And yeah, excited, excited to be here with you and share your message with everyone. So thank you so much to Liz Lipsky. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all you do. And dhaq.info to take that quiz. Everyone listening, take that quiz, assess how you're doing and share this message, share the quiz, share this message, this podcast. It was just a beautiful, fun girlfriend conversation and so much information to share. And just to emphasize, I mean, we're on this journey, how we can through our stories and through our you know, clients and through our experience that we're able to share this wisdom with each and every one of you. And again, I want to thank you guys for telling Reply, like a, a huge call out to you guys to let us know, you know, especially to share with me how this episode and any of my episodes have affected you in your life and helped you on your journey. I wanna hear from you because I am here for you and I'm so happy to be your girlfriend doctor. So bye till next time.